0: Hello everyone, Rob here. As part of our look back at Peter Davison's transcontinental non-stop tour of Australia, courtesy of the Myer Department Stores, I'll be recording a reading of the coverage of that tour, thanks to Australian fanzine Zorinza, combined issues 30 to 31. Zorinza, according to Wikipedia, I know, how many fanzines have their own Wikipedia page, and more importantly, does it deserve it, was Australia's oldest Doctor Who fanzine. It's noteworthy for a number of reasons the fan novelisation by Rosemary Howe of Dalek's Master Plan, and an issue wholly devoted to Damien Shanahan's critically important discovery of the Australian censor clips, which provides a fascinating insight into the paranoia of the Australian censors and their fear that a British tea-time children's science fiction show was somehow in danger of warping the minds of young Australian colonial kiddies. Yeah, go figure. Anyway, I'll be reading an excerpt from the editorial, which rips into the treatment of Peter Davison by Meyer, and because Australia is nothing if not stuffed full to the brim of parochialism, a full reading of the coverage of Davos' visit to sunny Melbourne, Australia's greatest city. Strap in, folks! So this is the opening paragraph of the editorial for Zarinza 30-31, which is the Peter Davison special, which covers in depth his visit to Australia. The editorial was written by Stephen Collins and gives you something of a flavour of his uh, attitude to how Peter Davison was treated. It begins, It is something of a pity that the affection which endears my memory of Peter Davison's quick Maya slash logie visit to Australia has been permanently scarred by two things. Firstly, the grotesque attitude of the Maya personnel to the hapless Mr. Davison epitomised by the behaviour of tour organiser Leora Cohen to Meyer, Peter Davison was nothing more than a piece of furniture, a commodity to be heartlessly and shamelessly exploited at whatever the cost to the man himself. He was not treated like a human being. He should have been. Ostensibly, the tour was organised so that Peter Davison could meet the fans of Doctor Who in Australia by promoting the sale of books in Meyer's stores. In reality, Meyer cared nothing for the fans or their unfortunate celebrity, and merely took every opportunity to wring cold hard cash out of the milling throngs of expectant souvenir hunters. If Peter Davison had collapsed from exhaustion or overwork, all Meyer would have been concerned about would have been the profit which had been lost. And then Stephen goes on to talk about Peter Davison's sudden retirement from the role and his disappointment with regards to that and then goes on to dedicate the entire issue to the memory of the Fifth Doctor and in particular, Peter Davison, his warm memories of uh, seeing Peter Davison during that tour. And as he says at the end, long will you be remembered, Mr. Davison. So before I begin the recounting of the Melbourne leg of the tour, just to give listeners a sense of Davo's tour, he arrives in Brisbane on the 7th of April uh, 1982 and stays for two days, departing on Saturday, April the 9th. From Brisbane, he uh, flies down to Sydney, uh, arriving on the 10th of April and then departing on April the 12th.
1: It was during the Sydney visit that the Australian Doctor Who fan club are able to organise for Peter Davison to attend one of their local meetings. As detailed in this excellent recounting of the visit by Pat Fennick,
0: The Peter Davison Party. The Australian Doctor Who fan club party held on April 10 to coincide with Peter Davison's visit to Australia was to anyone remotely connected with its organisation an event to be remembered with mixed emotions. Almost from the first inklings that he might be visiting these shores, Murphy's Law, if something can go wrong, it will, began operating at maximum output. To begin with, it was impossible to discover whether Mr. Davison would be willing or able to attend a party on the scheduled date. Leora Cohen, the Maya tour organiser, proved very difficult to deal with and was most unsympathetic to anything the club proposed. She was so unhelpful that Anthony Howe was forced to make an international call to Peter Davison's London agent to ask whether the hoped-for appearance at the party was feasible. The agent, John Mahoney, assured Anthony that Mr. Davison would be happy to attend, so at least that much was finally settled and visions of a Peter Davison party without Mr. Davison receded a little. However, the period of uncertainty had reduced the preparation time to a bare two weeks that were, to say the least, a panicky race against time. Equipment and halls had to be booked for the party. There was a mad rush to prepare and post-publicity information about the tour and the party. Zorinza's had to be prepared and wrapped for mail-out with the publicity. There were efforts made to reach out to as many non-club members as possible because Meyer, as you may have noticed, made no effort to promote the appearances anywhere but inside their stores. Newspapers had to be informed of the tour. Everything had to be done at breakneck speed. And all the while, organisation was plagued by Meyer's ever-changing schedule, which at one late stage had Peter Davison still on the Gold Coast on the Sunday morning of the Sydney party. Eventually, to everyone's enormous relief, Sunday April 10 arrived. Peter Davison was definitely coming and all that remained was the actual setting up of the party itself. The usual frenzied activity beset the surrounds of Stephen Roberts Theatre, as the preparations for the day began until, finally, some order began to emerge. The foyer, filled with the various merchandise tables and amply decorated with posters and wall hangings, took on a real Doctor Who air. The cut-out Daleks seemed to regard the entire scene with great disdain. With everything more or less under control, the doors were opened. A little late, Murphy's Law again. Obviously relieved, the patient partygoers began to file into the market area. The morning passed by me in a blur. Manning the club's table, I was supposed to be dealing with the collection of mail-ordered merchandise, questions about membership and so on. I probably did, but I can't remember. I do remember handfuls of books, Zorinz's and photos approaching my vantage point with great frequency, and it certainly looked as though everyone was enjoying themselves. About 1pm, piece of sorts descended upon the area when most of the partygoers opted to attend a special screening in the nearby Carslaw building. Many party helpers took a deep breath and then began to think about what had still to be done. Everything was checked and double-checked to ensure that all preparations for the interview with Peter Davison had been completed. As I was not involved in any of this, I took the opportunity to relax. Peter Davison was scheduled to arrive at about 2 p.m. and by 1.30 p.m. all was in readiness. The Carslaw Theatre was suitably decorated with impressive wall paintings of a pteroleptal and an ice warrior, and an elaborate array of posters, photographs and signs, which all served to provide an impressive backdrop to the interview area. It must have been spectacular to those not expecting it. Wandering over, late as ever, I was lucky enough to see The Doctor and Sandra Dickinson arrive. He in his familiar cricketing outfit, she in red, just like Trillian. They were accompanied by the ever-present and overly protective woman from Maya. Not wanting to get a flea in my ear for bothering Mr. Davison before he had arrived, officially, I beat a hasty retreat to the theatre and perched myself high up in the back to get a good overview of proceedings. The following two hours, at least to my mind, went a long way towards making up for all the difficulties which had plagued the organisation of the day. From the moment Peter Davison came into view to be greeted by a warmly appreciative applause, he proved to be just as charming as I had imagined he would be. He spoke at length about many things, his career, the stories of the first season, He did not want to spoil the second season so spoke very briefly about that. He told of the difficulties he had encountered whilst making Doctor Who and recalled some of the lighter moments. Sandra Dickinson delighted everyone by sounding exactly like Trillian and by answering the questions directed towards her with frankness and wit. Considering she had only just arrived from England that morning and that she described her state of being as, quote, like walking on marshmallows, unquote, it was extremely generous of her to attend the party at all. During the proceedings, K-9, Mark IV, dropped in to renew acquaintances. However, once arrived, he seemed most reluctant to leave, particularly as he had become the centre of attention, rather like Marks 1 and 2 really. Once the official interview was over, Peter Davison answered questions from the audience with infinite patience and good humour. One of the conditions Meyer placed on allowing Peter Davison to attend the party was that he was to spend no more than two hours there. The club had hoped that once he was there, the visit might extend itself despite the Meyer edict. However, at the expiration of two hours, Ms. Cohen firmly insisted that that was enough and it was time to depart. She would not allow him to sign autographs or mingle with the fans, even though it had been repeatedly explained to her that some people had come great distances, specifically because there was no other chance for them to meet Peter Davison. Very few Meyer stores in New South Wales had appearances scheduled. Ms. Cohen was unrelenting, and so very anticlimactically, Peter Davison was whisked away in a rather dashing saab, which was a trifle spoilt by a silly... Doctor Who Drive Saab sticker which had been splashed across the side. I could not but wonder what Peter Davison had thought of that. A brief wave and that enchanting smile was all those lucky enough to witness his departure had to remember the moment by. And so, the party was almost over. There was no autographed keepsakes, but I did not really mind so much. It was enough to have had the opportunity of being in the theatre to see the fifth Doctor in person and hear him speak. I had liked his Doctor before the visit. But after our close encounter, I liked him even more. Despite the difficulties of that April 10 day and the unbelievable attitude of the woman from Meyer, we did get to meet Peter Davison. And that was more than enough to make the party a great success for me anyway. From Sin City, he then shuttles across to Adelaide, where he arrives on Thursday, April 14, and then departs on April uh, the 16th on a Saturday. And after that, flies all the way across to Perth uh, for Sunday, April 17, and then departing on Tuesday, April nineteenth. And then he arrives in Melbourne, uh, April the 20th, which is a Wednesday, and then flying out on Friday, April 22nd. So this is a recounting of his time in Melbourne by John Davies with help from Richard Freeland, who were um, involved in, obviously, uh, Doctor Who fandom in Australia back in the early 80s. And we begin. Peter and Sandra Dickinson arrived in Melbourne on Tuesday the 19th of April by the 5.15pm flight from Perth. They were greeted by a reception comprising a dozen Victorian Club members and the Meyer Liaison person, Penny D. After a very brief pause to allow photos to be taken, Penny ushered Peter and Sandra down the long Tullamarine corridor towards the elevators. At the bottom, we managed to exchange a few words with both Peter and Sandra before Penny thanked us all for coming to meet them. They were escorted to a waiting car, leaving us to reflect on this initial encounter and the possibilities of the following few days. Meyer had arranged for Peter to make a total of five appearances at three different stores and as soon as we became aware of this, plans were made for various members to cover all the stores. Lee Snell and Tom Marweed managed to cover both Frankston and Southland stores between them, while I and many others attended all three City Store signings on successive days. Peter's three attendances at the City Store took place between 12.30 and 1.30pm and he managed to draw satisfyingly large crowds on all three days. He sat at a table on a raised platform erected in the book department on the ground floor. On the table was a microphone which he used to talk informally with the people just before the start of the signing sessions. I noticed that he appeared slightly overawed at the size of the reception, as if he hardly expected to be so popular here, with only one season under his belt. Despite this, he rose to the occasion and his moments of informal chatter were priceless interludes. As was the pattern in Sydney, Maya Melbourne had an MC present to oversee the Doctor's appearances and impose some form of control over the crowd. In our case, it was a mature lady who was formerly an ABC employee, Mrs Scott. Her role of introducing Peter Davison as the Doctor was superfluous to most of the fans, and we often felt her attitude towards Peter was patronising at times. We were thoroughly amused when she referred to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as The Hijackers! It was imperative to arrive at least an hour early to secure a decent position in the queue. By the time 12.30 came, an endlessly long line of people extended from where Peter sat to the doors in Lonsdale Street. Our club was readily visible, handing out membership forms for both Victorian and Australasian clubs. Peter spent most of his time earnestly signing books and sometimes answering questions that emanated from the surrounding throng, many of whom were simply content to watch from close proximity. Throughout each session, he was bombarded with camera flashes but seemed oblivious to the interference. At various moments, Mrs. Scott would ask Peter a question and receive a muted reply, which she then amplified for our benefit. The questions were indeed truly inspiring. When do you commence work in Doctor Who again? Is it true that you are to film another series of all creatures? When does the special celebratory story take place? She said she thought that Doctor Who lasting for 20 years was a tremendous achievement and spent a considerable time reminding us. At one stage I asked Peter to utter a few lines as the dish of the day for the benefit of Melbourne fans. This he did to the delight of all. I then asked him to comment on the Richard Langdon article in Doctor Who Monthly about the Phoenix Rising production. His total ignorance of the matter confirmed suspicions that it was a cruel April Fool's joke. On a less serious note, Peter begged us not to ask about the significance of the celery. However, his pleas for mercy were of no avail and conjectures flew thick and fast about the origins of the famous salary. Further questions centred on Peter's position in Doctor Who and would he continue in the role? His answer was that actors signed for an initial three-year contract and then renegotiated on a year-to-year basis. At this point, Peter gave no indication that he was intending to leave the show. Consequently, the announcement of his departure later on in 1983 came as a bit of a shock to many people. The procedure for signing books deserves some comment. Mrs. Scott increasingly dominated the daily proceedings. On the Wednesday, almost anything could be signed, provided that a book purchased from Maya was included. By Thursday, one Maya book and only one unpurchased item was allowed to be brought to Peter's table. On Friday, only Maya purchases with the docket clearly visible were allowed. Many people were not permitted to ask Peter to autograph the monthly, old books and annuals, or even the odd cricket ball and bat. During the three-day interval, the only Davison-era Doctor Who novels available in the store were The Visitation and Time Flight. Those who tried to present other titles were thwarted by the one-woman security beacon. While this proved to be a source of friction between fans and Mrs. Scott, it was minuscule compared to a drop in the rapport between Davison and Mrs. Scott when she completely failed to acknowledge Sandra's presence at the commencement of the Thursday signing session. A word in her ear from Peter rectified matters instantly. It was a special occasion, with Sandra joining Peter on the dais. Like Peter, she answered any questions coming her way. One was whether she would work in Doctor Who if given the opportunity. Both said it was entirely up to John Nathan-Turner. Sandra's presence was evidently welcomed by Melbourne fans, as they readily approached her for autographs which she consistently signed as Trillion. It was remarkable observing the two young actors at work in complete accord, and at twice their normal speed so as to get everything signed on time. Upon completing his final tour of duty on Friday at lunchtime, Peter bid everyone farewell, only complaining that he had not seen enough of Melbourne. He was whisked away from the store to an interview on Radio 3AW. It was the last we were to see of him until the Logie presentations that evening. The Logie Awards Ceremony The Logies proved to be somewhat of an anti-climax. Peter was introduced as the new Doctor Who with Jackie McDonald as minor presenters. Their expected banter was in tune with the evening's level of ad hoc humour. In a reversal of the visitor's role, Peter asked Ms. McDonald how enjoyable it was to be here in Australia and received a suitable reply. The most noticeable thing about it all was how striking Peter looked in formal attire. The next day the Davisons flew out of Melbourne, leaving me a fan of the Fifth Doctor, and no doubt impressing many other Melbourne fans as well. I would like to thank Penny D for all her help in trying to tee up a club get-together with Peter on the Thursday night, which sadly never materialised. Now for the non-Melbourne or non-Australian listeners, just a couple of points of clarification. The Meyer Melbourne department store is right in the centre of the Melbourne CBD, and the description that the crowd winds out to Lonsdale Street uh, just gives a hint of how many people actually attended because the store itself covers, or covered at least, two city blocks Um, and for it to be stretching out into the streets just gives a sense of the large numbers of people who turned up. Uh, The reference to Radio 3AW is, in actual fact, a commercial radio station here in Melbourne, uh, not affiliated with any of the government ABC radio uh, stations, so I'm a bit surprised that Davo was never actually invited onto ABC Radio, or at that point was uh, called 3LO. Uh, so that's interesting that he went to the commercial end of the spectrum and not uh, to the uh, government-funded or taxpayer-funded ABC radio. And just for those who don't know, uh, the Logies are Australia's version, I suppose, probably low-rent version of perhaps uh, the BAFTAs uh, in terms of uh, awarding or providing awards for Australia's TV industry. Uh, Jackie MacDonald was the co-host of a TV show called Hey Hey, at Saturday, which was more a co- comedy variety show and extremely popular at that time. That was an account of Davo's appearance in Melbourne. Mark himself has interviewed a fellow who was actually there and wrote an article for the Melbourne Age newspaper about a decade ago and I hope you've enjoyed that little taste of history way back when in 1983.
1: A few years back, I remembered reading an article in the Age newspaper written by a Chris Middendorf uh, who was there on that momentous day. Now, thanks to the awesome power of the internet, I've been able to track down Chris to discuss his memories of the day in question. So Chris, welcome to 42 to Doomsday.
2: Thank you very much, Mark.
1: Your article was published in, in 2007. Let's just go right back to the beginning of your love of the program. So what was your first memories of seeing Doctor Who and what got you stuck into the program? So
2: my first memories were probably um, Patrick Trout, Reruns in the very early 70s. Yep. Um, and I was terrified. I, I, I was a very small child and so I couldn't really make out what was happening. But mm-hmm. I used to say, get, get it away, get it away. And it would be a squawking voice or an alien of some kind. And I remember being spooked by it. Um, so it wasn't until actually 1978 that I started watching the series properly. Yeah. By accident. So I just switched it on. It happened to be the opening of The Android Invasion with Tom Baker. I was 12 years old and it was probably the perfect introduction to Doctor Who uh, Mm. because it was an accessible episode set what seemed to be on Earth um, and it was, you know, full of surprises and mysteries and it was fairly spooky. And I remember the aliens in it, the kraals, were probably the most convincing. uh, The masks were fantastic. So I was hooked pretty much from episode two
1: And you obviously then, from the android invasion onwards, you watched the Tom Baker run all the way through?
2: Yeah, and back in those days, in the 70s, they would um, oscillate between Baker and and, uh, Pertwee. I didn't really know what I was getting into. So a few weeks after discovering Baker's episodes, I went down to, I think it was the Little Book Room in Melbourne and ended up buying the Making of Doctor Who book and the Doctor Who monster book. Yes. And I started to immerse myself in this fairly extraordinary story with this incredible history, you know. And I, I was amazed that there were other actors that had played the role and it all seemed incredibly magical to me. So we'd watch all those episodes, I think, up until The Talons of Wen Cheyenne in Baker. And then from then on, we'd go to Pertwee. They would obviously start with Spearhead from Space and then they would miss a whole lot of episodes. Mm. I remember suddenly seeing the titles change on, a. I think it was on a Thursday. Hmm. Having been watching Baker and suddenly the titles were red time-space vortex of the of the Pertwee titles, being that older face and being absolutely thrilled that I was finally going to see an, an earlier Doctor earlier Who. Doctor. Can you remember some of those Pertwees you, you remember seeing at the time? I, I remember seeing um, that, that. We never saw episodes with The Master, which always upset me. They seemed to be at that point in black and white. And, so and the, banned. <laughs> some of them, yeah. Bad. Yeah, yeah so you can show them. Yeah. Um, but I remember the Green Death being fantastic and I remember mm. that moment when he leaves Joe and there's a party going on and she's engaged and he drives off in Bessie um, alone and it, it was an incredible moment, I thought, of emotion. Yeah. Um, the, the Pertwee episodes were fantastic. Yeah, a couple yeah. of monsters springs out.
1: Yeah, because the ABC sort of showed like a small block of colour episodes, didn't they? They sort of had the three videotapes, that I think, were left, yeah, the BBC yeah. hadn't wiped. Yeah, and I loved
2: a bit of the spiders. And yeah. um, in fact, with Pertwee, I really love his first and his last episode. But I think the Pertwee year is a fairly
1: consistent run on the whole, isn't it? It's, it's um, Yeah, there's some great stuff in there. Did you know Tom Baker was leaving the
2: program at the time? And- During that last year of Baker, um, his last season, I was quite disappointed um, with the episodes. And, and it felt... felt to me, even as a kid, that Baker wasn't enjoying it, he wasn't feeling it. He seemed grumpy and he seemed unwell and i felt as a kid it's time for him to go i actually did oh. feel that i wasn't resistant to a new doctor and i liked davison from all creatures great and small but i was really surprised at the choice because i think he was 29 at the time and i remember thinking that's not possible the doctor's a middle-aged man because we had preconceived notions It had happened three times before and we weren't used to the idea of a youthful person The other thing I thought about Davison at the time was, is he spooky enough? Because there was an element of, there was an enigma. The Doctor was a little bit spooky. Baker certainly was a bit spooky. And I thought Pertwee as well. They were imperious figures. I wondered if uh, Davison would have the right gravitas. Now, a friend showed me at school, so he pulled out a TV week or a new idea, I can't remember which magazine, or photo of Davison in the new costume. And that worried us. It worried me because I thought, why is he wearing multicolored pants and a frock coat in a sort of an awful beige colour. And oh. he looked like he'd walked off the set of chariots of fire or something along those lines.
1: i had to visit it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It had
2: yeah. that, it had that old school. And I thought, is he gonna play the Doctor as a kind of Sebastian Flight? Yeah, like a yeah. like a public schoolboy. So that was my concern. Um and we didn't get to see it until I think by the time I ran into Davison at this event, We'd only seen one season, that's as I remember it. So I was a bit concerned that what what would he be like but I also remember thinking this is it's about time. We need something new. And yeah. it struck me that they'd really tried not to be Tom Baker. They really had pulled all stops. Davison was going to do a completely different thing. And I think he even channeled a bit of Troughton and Hartnell for the first season. Does that sound right? He's doing little impressions in
1: um Castro of Hartnell and Troughton when yeah. he's sort of getting over the post-regenerative shock. Did the contrast between Davison and Tom Baker sort of unsettle you a bit or not really? Or
2: no, I was really keen that someone yeah. When he came in, what worried me was that the tone of the show hadn't changed that much. There was something about the style of the show. Maybe it was John Nathan Turner. I know people are often critical of him. You know that that last season of, of Baker's had a had a similar tone in a way to the first season of um, Davison, but it was nice to see someone new in the role. And I and I took to him fairly quickly, I think.
1: You watched the first season, obviously, of, of Davison, and what were the sort of highlights for you of that season? Can you remember? I suppose with Davison,
2: well, I, I kind of like. The idea of more companions who are a little bit more exotic than just someone you, you picked up from. So, Nissa, and uh, I thought was interesting. Mm. Um, I wasn't big on Adric. I, I quite liked the one, uh, the episode, is it Castrovalva with all the Escher? Yes. I quite like some of the ideas. I was never keen on The Master as played by Anthony Ainley. So anything that had... Now, how many times did he appear in the...
1: Castor and then Time Flight, and then he sort of just kept reappearing about three or four times post that, yeah.
2: I wasn't a big fan of Time Flight, which I think was the last episode <laughs> of that, that season. Yes. And, and part of the problem always, I guess, was the imagination of the writers and the producers was far in excess of the budget and capacity technologically to deliver. Was it Concorde planes that were... Yes, it was a Concorde yeah, that was used. You just kind of weren't convinced by it and even that last episode of baker with him swinging off the um what what is it a sort of a great big um aerial of some yeah it's kind. a radio
1: telescope and the gantry and he's, he's hanging on to the yeah, cable I
2: expect, yeah i should have probably finished him off in a different way because they really that that effect of him hanging there wasn't at all convincing kind of put you off the whole process uh, yeah. and i was really conscious of the effects not being up to the stories as, as a kid i remember thinking chroma key, the video chroma key effects were really not that good Hmm. But there were some uh, Davison episodes. Uh, he he'd um just finished filming, as I recall, um, the five doctors. and I, and I knew that some of the stuff coming was good. I liked black Orchid or I liked um, the visitation, like that with the pteroleptals, and yeah. I was horrified when the sonic screwdriver was um, <laughs> destroyed. Did they do that to the real prop? I didn't notice um that it was it looked like it was actually, because I've seen it years later, that it was actually a um a dotted screwdriver. Uh, that they did um for that scene. I kind of thought it was interesting that he they Davison put on glasses when he was trying to be a little bit more professorial. Is that the word? Yeah. I kind of liked it, but I, w- I really regretted the costume. I just thought the idea of a cricket costume didn't really didn't really work as a, as working clothes. And of course, like the titles, it was really stylized and manufactured in a way that I thought was a bit campy. I just thought the doctor should wear clothing, not a, not an obviously designed costume.
1: It should have been more off the peg, really, shouldn't it be cricket my teeth would have been fine but it was more coupled with a couple of things which weren't so as you said stylized and, and James <laughs> yeah. had that marketing view on of course but yeah yeah. yeah. how did you hear about that uh, Peter Davison would be at Maya Melbourne
2: so as I recall it was mentioned on the television I think there was a little you know one of those um narrated kind of uh, and for viewers of Doctor Who please note that Peter Davison will be signing books in the Maya book department uh, on whatever dates so I certainly remember hearing it and I'm pretty sure it would have been the TV. I might have heard it on the breakfast program too on you know on my way to school I might have heard it on um, 3LO I think it was in those days. Oh yes. But I definitely heard it through the ABC and I thought oh wow the doctors in Melbourne you know this would be like a once in a lifetime opportunity to meet that person without any effort, you know. Um, like in Maya. I mean, what could be more prosaic than Doctor Who arriving in Maya? And I knew the book department. It was downstairs on the first floor, the Lonsdale Street. My memory of it was that it was he was around for two days, but you might be right about it being three. My memory was it was eleven thirty in the morning or something like that. Did you wag school as it were? I, I I you... school, so so what yeah. I did was, and the reason I know it was a th- well, I think it was a Thursday is that I had um a particular class that I used as, as the dividing line between um, being at school and leaving school. Mm. So I, um, I stuck on a, a, a beanie and um, some kind of overcoat or something and, and quickly nicked off through the bushes at one end of the school, uh, ran down to the station, caught the train into the CBD and uh, arrived, I think, about half an hour early for this event, which seemed really modest. I mean, it was really just a small... Roped off area with a chair and a table, possibly a second chair, and a cardboard almost life-size Dalek, uh, which I think they'd gotten from um, Space Age Books, or if that was around in those days. Mm. So there we were sitting in the book department, uh, waiting eagerly for the doctor. I had no idea what to expect. I thought he'd show up in a in a suit you know, like a like a businessman and uh, wasn't prepared for what came.
1: From what I understand of the day, uh, apparently people had to buy Target books at buy to get them signed by the great man. Do you remember that or did you basically just smuggle something in to, uh, to um, get signed?
2: Yeah, I do believe that was the case, that you had to buy books. But I also know people had All Creatures Great and Small paraphernalia and a lot of people ah. that arrived there had sort of fallen in love with uh, Tristan, the, the character he played on that show. Mm. And I remember lots and lots of All Creatures, you know, basically James Herriot, um, um, novels uh, as part of this and I don't think they'd been bought at myer no. so I think they kind of overlooked it and there really wasn't any supervision of this to any great extent at some point I mean there was a woman who obviously worked in publicity and I don't know if you've tracked her down We found um,
1: the name of the lady And I'm very
2: unkind about her in my um Yes <laughs> piece but it did strike me even as a kid that there was an absurdity about it. Clearly you're not a Doctor Who fan yeah. talking about the supremely talented Peter Davison, the amazing actor Peter Davison, the astonishing talent that is Peter Davison. And it felt like she was talking about Laurence Olivia arriving. <laughs> and it. she really didn't connect that it was all about the shows he was in as much wow. as anything. And, you know, beloved Peter Davison this and, you know, um, the most fabulous uh, performer, Peter Davison. And it, it was it was really hard sell the old-fashioned way. Um and maybe she was someone who normally did specials you know in the in the bargain basements you know um uh, polo shirts only ten dollars or whatever. Or she may have been a, a legitimate PR person who who did the the celebrities that arrived at Maya. I can't imagine how many celebrities would have arrived at Meyer. At I that think time. Michael
1: Parkinson maybe as well. I'm not sure. Remember uh, turning up some later point. Well, but
2: if so. You can remember in 1983 there were still people who thought that if you got on the escalator at Maya on the top floor, you'd end up in Harrods. We <laughs> we we have this incredible connection to yeah. um, British tradition still. So Davison, yeah. Doctor Who, you know BBC, ABC. We really saw ourselves, and I'm old enough to remember people talking about going home for the holidays, and they were referring to going to Britain, to England for a holiday, and they'd never been there before. The home country. That was dying out by the 80s, but there were still the vestigial traces of that.
1: What you just mentioned about the lady supervising the Melbourne leg of that tour. It sounds like there were similar horror stories in, in the Sydney leg of the tour. What can you remember? So you're in the queue. And you're waiting for your items to be signed and you're sort of inching forward well, that i
2: didn't have any items i already owned all the target books i needed i was ah, just there okay. to okay. see if i could say hello yeah. to the actor you know to engage in conversation and I wrote the, the articles a bit of a humour piece, but I left out the more serious stuff. And I actually did ask questions about um, television and uh, about his career and what it was like and all that. But I, that wasn't very interesting for the article, so I thought I'd focus on on the absurdity of a of a, a time travelling alien getting essentially marooned in in you know suburban um, Melbourne shopping <laughs> centre. You know shopping. Complex. Yeah. It was just a bizarre, a bizarre thing.
1: And he was shuttled around the whole country in the same thing. Like he never got outside of a mice or the
2: poor bugger. Right. Well, he, he, he rocked up. And I remember him looking slightly embarrassed, but then Peter Davison had a really lovely, endearing, bashful quality at the best of times, but he looked slightly embarrassed and he was in full costume, which I hadn't expected. And Mm. I was struck by how much more English and how much more um, artificial the costume appeared in real life. And I remember seeing the celery, the notorious celery that was on his lapel. I said to him, oh, the celery is made of fabric. And it looked like just dyed fabric that had been, and he said, well, yes, I hardly have a stick of real celery tied to my lapel. I thought, yeah, no, obviously you wouldn't, but it never occurred to me that it was, you know, a piece of fabric that someone had hand-painted. Um, it was fading and it didn't look at all convincing close up. He just seemed a little bit in pain, but he was incredibly <laughs> lovely to everyone that I recall. It was mainly women that I that I remember. I remember people from a Doctor Who club there. Yes, yes. Um, and I remember maybe photos being taken. If anyone has photos, I'd love to see them because there might be a photo... Um, of myself you know, staring open-mouthed at this amazing Peter Davison. It was an extraordinary thing. So he arrived and, and they asked some questions. I can't quite recall how that worked. He did some signing. People started presenting, obviously, the, the James Harriet books. He took that all wonderfully. And a lot of the women that were there, they were young women. I mean, they would say things like, I, we love you, Peter, and all that sort of stuff that you didn't see much in Melbourne in those days outside mm. of a Beatles concert you know, 20 years earlier. We weren't really American in our demonstration uh, of affection towards celebrities in those days. If there are photos, I'd love to see what the breakdown of the people were. I think there was a few males from the Doctor Who Appreciation Society and then a whole lot of of younger women. And then a few people probably joined in who were just sort of happened to be in Maya at the time and suddenly thought, oh, a celebrity, I'll go and have a look. I reckon he would have been fairly unknown to a lot of people as well, though, because he was very much a boutique, um, you know, all creatures great and small, an ABC audience. I'm not sure if the average channel nine viewer would have known who he was
1: unless he's on the paul hogan show i doubt it very much yeah as you said it had that sort of niche quality he's on the abc all creatures yeah it has a popular show within a certain demographic Well, you are mentioning about the the young ladies it was funny because a friend of mine who went to school with his sister actually went uh to see Davison on that day mainly she had a bit of a, a crush on him when he came back to school he said oh, my sister met peter Davison," and uh he asked her apparently if she wanted a coffee i don't know if the coffee well, actually happened but um but his wife was there so i don't think anything would have happened
2: see this is before sort of fame was truly dangerous and before oh. everyone had, you know, minders and their own publicists and all the rest of it, oh. he, he really responded as a natural human being. So he might well have said, have a, have a coffee. Oh. Um, he might well have been wanting to kill some time and he probably thought the people were nice and he responded authentically. That was what it seemed like. He didn't have any airs and graces. He didn't have a, I'm a, I'm a celebrity or a star or an actor or someone of some importance and you're all plebs. There was none of that after
1: the event? I believe that yeah. uh, went outside Meyer and it
2: was a really bizarre event. So the show yeah. finished. The publicity woman um, switched off a microphone and walked <laughs> off, rolled up the cable. Uh, a couple of other people left, and a lot of the crowd just thinned out. And there was just myself, another male, I think, and maybe two women, but I, I'm, I'm a little hazy on that. So there he was, yeah, and he stood up and he went, Well, normally, um, there would be a limousine waiting for me and and some kind of driver. And we all looked at him and thought, that sounds reasonable, you know. Um, Then he said something about he had a rehearsal to go to for the Logie presentation. Oh, yes. Um, And he started talking about, I've just filmed... Uh, the five doctors as part of the celebration, and he had a bit of a chat about Terence Dix and and I don't remember the details. I'm sorry, but some of the complexities of putting it together. And he said it's a shame that William Hartnell um, died, uh, but we have a terrific guy standing in for him. Mm. And unfortunately, Tom couldn't make it, and he's played by Waxworks or something like that. He just stood there, and we all sort of stood with him. And I said to him, "Well, it sounds like you, you're going to need a, a taxi." And he said, "Well." Yes, where, where, where do you get them from? And I said, well, Lon, Lonsdale Street at that time, there was a taxi rank just near Maya. Yes. So I suggested, why don't we wander out to um, Lonsdale Street? And other people also contributed, but I re- only really remember my own contribution. But I, I think I think the, the women said, yeah, yeah, come outside, um, we'll get you a taxi. He joined us and so he walked through Meyer, um, and out up the steps and out into Lonsdale Street. And I recall it being reasonably nice sort of morning, Maybe it was early afternoon, I can't recall. And we stood there and there were no taxis. And so you know, people sort of stood near him. We, they were all well behaved and we asked a bunch of questions. And it was the first time I was conscious that an actor is part of a machine, particularly a, a big show like Doctor Who that is, mm. you know, done essentially by story runners, producers, by the bureaucrats at the, at the, um, at the network. And I realised from what Davison was saying, I, I asked him about The Sonic Screwdriver and I actually asked him a serious question about it and he, he responded seriously. He said that the producer, he didn't name Nathan Turner, but he said the producer and some of the writers felt it got me out of too many problems, so they got rid of it. And I said, hmm. will they bring it back? He said, no, no, they're really trying to make a change in the approach to the Doctor's um, character and how he, how he resolves uh, drama. And we, we spoke a bit about that. And other people asked questions, and he answered those questions. And um, we looked around for taxis. Nothing was coming. Um, so I imagine it was probably around 20 minutes. It might have been a little less. It might have been a little more, uh, where we just sort of chatted to him. And gradually it was just me and, I think, a couple of young women. He clearly was, he said, oh, I don't, I don't understand why there wasn't a limousine. You know, he really he was really a little bit annoyed by it. <laughs> He was lovely. He didn't say, you know, he didn't cuss. He didn't say, you know, where's, my, where's the car they promised? And he, and he didn't pay out on anyone. He seemed extremely um, good-natured about it. But you can see that he was a little ticked off. We have a word to his agent or whoever yeah. organised it. And then eventually a taxi showed up and he got in. And, the, and I remember him saying, he, he looked at us and he just paused and he said, look, it was really lovely talking to you all. Thank you so much. And off he went. The next time I saw him uh, was obviously the Logies uh, either that night or probably the Friday night would have been the next the next day.
1: Jackie McDonald was co-hosting or doing a segment. With I remember vividly and I remember
2: he, they got their scripts mixed up as a joke. So she said his lines and he said her lines just as for a laugh. I don't know if it worked particularly well. And then I remember Dennis Waterman um, gave a song version of the Minder theme but he appeared inebriated to me. He seemed to be intoxicated and struggling to do the but I don't know if there's any footage of that. Maybe that was me as a kid uh, being super sensitive to anything that seems slightly out of kilter. Hard to say. I did no. look
1: on YouTube for some footage of uh, particular Logies. I, uh, I haven't found anything yet. I found some pictures of it. The pictures I have seen, he's in a tux. He's looking quite yes. uh, splendid. Uh, was,
2: was, to- he, was he staying at the, um, at the Hilton or was there another hotel at that point? that he might have stayed at. I'm just trying to oh, imagine. I'm not too he, sure.
1: I'm not too sure where we would have been um, holed up in, but um, might have been hopefully close to the Logies, wherever that was. The Logies were big back then, weren't they, really? They were the, yeah, the yeah. Australian right of lights.
2: I can't remember if the Logies were done in the um, World Trade Centre that we had at that time, or was that mm. too new then? I, look, it's all I'm a not blur. Too sure.
1: it's, all, it's all a blur. So you had all these memories of,
2: of the Davison visit.
1: Yeah. So how yeah, did so it then sort of progress into actually writing an article for a national publication? Well,
2: so what happened i I used to just pitch stuff to editors i would just say hey i got this idea and nine times out of ten they would say that sounds fine so um, I think it was on the back of the new seasons of Doctor Who being in the news. Um, yeah. When I wrote this, I think Tennant was in. And I think I just thought, well, there's a bit of interest. How about a story? And I just said, mm. it's like a, it'll be humorous. So I focused on the humor and I left a lot of stuff out. And they said, that sounds like a, a good idea. And then I wrote a small piece, the piece that you read. So that was essentially it. And I used to, I used to write a piece uh, for for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, every few weeks, really, uh, for a long time, probably about 10 years, 15 years. Did you
1: get any reaction from people that when they read it? Like, they usually have a comment section and...
2: I usually don't read the comment section because I, I really, I think once it's written, I don't I don't really care. However, I did get a phone call, I'm pretty sure, or an email. I don't remember what it was. And, and it was a, a person who was also a writer yeah. who said that they were there on the day. And they said, your memory is exactly the same as mine. And I think his name was Tim. I can't remember now. But he just said, um, I, I, went, I was out there too, particularly what you said about the publicity person. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was really full on and, I, yeah. I, you know, and it's funny and it, it just reminded me of, of that day, all those years ago. And that was, what, 2007 or? Yeah, it was 2007,
1: exactly. And I do remember reading it at the time and I know I, I just sent it, circulated to a, a number of my Doctor Who friends yes. and it was only until this picture on Twitter, um, there's a picture of Davison with Vegemite in his hand and going, oh, that's oh right. And then people going, where's that taken? I said, it was taken in Maya. And we "Oh, hold on, I do remember reading an article and I do wow. remember people actually talking about going to see Davison on the day. I didn't go because I didn't know anything about it. But, um, yeah, I was about, in uh, 1983, I was about 11, I think, oh, I, mean, okay. I, think I was. So yeah. I was in yeah. the Doctor Who club, but I had no, Real, I mean, my parents, anything that took me out of school was to see Georgia Mildred the movie in Return of the Jedi. I don't think that would have given me any extra well, wagging privileges. that's a combination
2: I would never consider putting together.
1: No, not really, no, no. Yeah. No, um, one was good, one wasn't.
2: <laughs> people need to remember how unsophisticated the early 80s really were still. I mean, Melbourne... Um, hadn't yet opened up the CBD for people to live in. That happened in the 90s. So yes. you really didn't, there weren't residents living in the CBD. Uh, mm. There might have been, you know, maybe 100, but it was essentially um, off, off limits for domestic purposes. There were no apartments. Um, 1983, I think the Bond film at the time was Octopussy. You know, the TV shows that people were watching back then were, were you know, the Stephen Cannell-type programs like Scarecrow and Mrs King and... The A-team and... Um, Bull
1: guy, and Night rider and all that sort of... By exactly. Exactly, so exactly. So all that sort
2: of stuff, yes. Amazingly cerebral and experimental. It uh-huh. really it gave writers an opportunity to exercise their imaginations, which is, I think, what attracted me and I'm sure you, Mark, to the, to the program. Doctor Who was constantly full of surprises. You just never knew where you would be, what would happen, who the Doctor would meet, whether it would be alien or human or a mixture, um, whether it be robots, whether it be androids. But you knew that through it all, there'd always be a blue police box and an alien, you know, who who had a a thing for social justice. Chris, thank you
1: very much for spending some time with uh, me tonight to talk about your uh, extraordinary experience back in 1983. It's been (laughs) great to walk down your memory lane. Many thanks again for taking the time and speaking to us.
2: Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. It was great.
0: And a big thank you to Chris Middendort for making himself available for that wonderful interview that you just conducted, uh, Mark.
1: Thank you, uh, Rob. And uh, yes, thank you, Chris, again, for answering my email. So again, thank you very much, Chris, for that was great. The
0: internet is a stalker's delight indeed, isn't it, Mark?
1: Yes, that and LinkedIn. <laughs>
0: uh yes. And now... After that fantastic interview, uh, we're moving on to our uh, listener feedback, and uh, it's made up of written commentary, Mark, and also some audio that uh, listeners have kindly sent us. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, we've got a couple of bit of sound bites here of some reminiscing uh, of the momentous day. So the first one we're going to listen to now is from Greg King. So take it away, Greg.
3: Hi, Greg King here. Peter Davison was at the Melbourne Meyer City store on April twenty second, nineteen eighty three. I have a diary I kept back in the day and I've noted the time 12.30 to 1.30 which presumably was the advertised time of when Peter would be there. So I grew up on a farm and 1983 was my first year living in Melbourne. I had never met an actor from Doctor Who before so this was all particularly exciting for me. I was living in Thornbury at the time and I took the train into the city at Myer, I remember a somewhat stern woman in charge instructing us that if we wanted an autograph, we had to buy a book. I guess paying Meyer a few dollars for a book, though, was nothing compared to prices we have to pay these days for such autographs. I remember there was a large stack of books in the middle of the floor for us to select from. At that time, the only fifth Doctor book that had been released here in Australia was The Visitation. Unfortunately, Meyer had sold out of those, so I had to purchase a different title. I spent $3.95 to get the Leisure Hive, which of course I still have today with Peter's signature. So we all waited in line um, to eventually greet Peter who was sitting at a table. I probably shook his hand, although I can't specifically remember doing that. I do remember while waiting in line, seeing some people who I would recognize later on that year, after I joined the Doctor Who Club of Victoria. I joined in June, so um, once I started going to meetings after that, I would have started to recognise some faces that I had seen in the line. One of the people I did remember specifically ahead of me in the line was Jodie Willis-Roberts, who had a cricket bat with her to get signed. Obviously, there were some exceptions to the book-only rule for autographs. Of course, back in those days, we didn't take photos of everything we did, so there's not a lot of um, photos or anything from the time. I was pleased, though, to discover a few years ago that someone had taken a photo of Peter at that event, and I can be seen waiting in the line. So that was quite a, a wonderful surprise. After the event, I headed to the uh, to the country train uh, for a trip back to the farm to spend that weekend with my parents it would have been a long weekend because the monday was anzac day and of course while i was on that train trip i no doubt read my copy of the leisure hive and the second bit of
1: audio feedback we've got is from tom rob mentioned in the audio reading of that uh, special issue of Zarinza. so again take it away tom
4: my name's thomas malweedy i'm here to bring back some memories i had of peter Davison's trip to melbourne in 1983 where i was a young fan of about 17 years of age uh, i met peter Davison at the airport with a number of other members of the doctor who fan club where he graciously did sign a few items though my main memory of that was he did not seem awfully pleased that we were there i think he was very tired and wanted to just go to his hotel and rest before he started his signings at Myers over the next three days at five different stores, uh, three of which were in the city, one was down in Frankston and the other one was at Southland. I was later lucky to attend the events at the Melbourne City Myers store on the Wednesday and travelled down to Frankston later that day for the afternoon signing to try and see him again. On the Wednesday, 20th April, Peter had arrived at the melbourne and store where he was greeted to a throng of people clutching their doctor who books it was a very long line i was there dressed in cricket whites because well i thought i looked like peter davison at the time yeah no but it was fun and games for everyone there either had the visitation which was the only officially released davison book in the bookstores unless you went to minotaur and picked up a copy of time flight that was released that week and people had some copies of that or there was copies of the hardback Castrovalva that was out at the time and a few people were holding on to that many other people were holding on to copies of their doctor Who monthlies or cricket bats cricket balls etc the event throughout the day was run by i believe a mrs scott An elderly woman that seemed to hate fandom with a passion. She certainly did not like anybody. Bringing things that were not bought at Myers and made it quite clear... That Myers was the only sorts of books that Peter would sign. Uh, Peter did speak up in the background once, just saying he would sign anything that was put in front of him. And she just carried on going, Yes, 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 any books that were bought at Myers, Peter would gladly sign. Peter was there for at least the hour. Uh I've got memories of it going on longer, but eventually he had to pack up and go elsewhere. Later that day, I took a train down to Frankston to pick up his second signing for the day, of which uh, a gentleman by the name of Lee Snell and myself, probably the two only representatives of the club that were there in the city signing, were in attendance. The uh, setup was similar, though not as big as the Melbourne signing. This was probably around about 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. Peter had come in and Sandra was there, and I joined the line again and I got him to sign. I think my All Creatures Great and Small book. Kind of sort of recognised me from earlier because I was there in the cricket gear, but doesn't remember names because I mean he saw several hundred people that day. Atmosphere was better at Myers than at Frankston than it was at Myers in the city in that uh, Mrs. Scott was not in attendance, and it was run by somebody else whose name totally eludes me, and she just was pleasant to deal with for fans, so happy for things to be signed and move on. And whilst Peter was there, my fondest memory was I noticed Sandra Dickinson was just wandering around Myers having a look at things so I just made my way over and I had a chat with her for about 10 minutes uh, talking about Hitchhiker's Guide and not much else, actually. And that was fun, because everyone was in enamored with Peter that nobody noticed her, and I think she was pleasantly surprised that somebody did notice her. Uh, and I do know that uh, later, or from the next day, she was also doing the signings alongside Peter in the city. I also recollect at the time that there was talk that Peter might have gone to an evening gig with the club at some stage, but uh, that was being handled by the committee at the time and read about that they did try and I think even from the start it was going to be no he's not going to do it because he had the Logies and he was doing a couple of uh, signings a day and it just wasn't going to happen. The recollection of the Melbourne store signing was that Peter was up on a uh, small stage and next to him was a table full of Doctor Who books from their book department for sale. People were there in a long line stretching uh, throughout the store with their own books and magazines and everything else they could hold on to and there was a microphone where Mrs Scott stood very angry with people and uh, she was just a very unpleasant woman. She, The fans were an inconvenience is what uh, the feeling we got from there. Peter himself at the time seemed bewildered but it was right on par. Answered questions about the show, he loved Earth Shock, he hated Time Flight because uh, he mentioned that when he was signing Time Flight Books, saying so this is probably my least favourite of the season.
0: So after those audio reminiscences from our listeners, we move on to the written commentary from them. And we begin, Mark, with uh, noted Australian author George Ivanov. Hello, George. Now, George says, uh, in reference to the uh, visit of Davo in sunny Melbourne, I went to the one in Melbourne. My parents told the school I was unwell and then took me to the city. <laughs> <laughs> it was very cool. I've got photos from the event somewhere. They are really poor quality, having been taken on one of those terrible little cartridge cameras. And I also have an audio cassette of the event. I should try to find it. I wonder what the audio cassette would contain, Mark. Would he have spoken to other fans? Do you think, or even shoved it under the nose of the great man himself and
1: said, "Say a few words to us"? It might have been like those Doctor Who Club Victoria beddings where we're all putting cassettes in front of uh, bits of furniture. So it could be one of those sort of situations happening. Just a forest of arms
0: holding up these ghetto blaster stolen
1: recorders. <laughs> now, Mark, the next uh, correspondent
0: is one of the august names in Doctor Who Australian fandom. I feel a sense of awe
1: having descended upon me. Uh, it is Anthony Howe, and Anthony says, My late mother used to remember about Davison's wife arriving at Sydney Uni straight from the airport. She didn't fly in with Davison. I think she was filming something. Mum must have asked how she felt. The reply mum got was, I feel like I'm walking on marshmallows. Totally jet lagged.
0: Australia is far, far away, and Melbourne is even further away than most of Australia, so. <laughs>
1: it's a pig of a flight. It would have been even worse back then. It used to take it two days. Now this is like a straight, you know, 24 hours, and occasionally you might get a, a stopover in between. Mm, you know, yeah. it's a quick change of a plane, but these remember it was two days. It was awful.
0: And that was Davo's uh, uh, wife, Sandra Dickinson. Is that that's correct, isn't it? Then wife,
1: that's correct. Yes. Then, oh, sorry, sorry. Yes. Let's, yes, yes. Yes. Sorry.
0: The lawyers, have, the lawyers have required us to say they're, 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 his yes. then Yes.
1: Yes. After reading his autobiography, I don't think it's much. Oh, well, let's there. move on
0: quickly from that. All right. Yes. Exactly. Now, Mark, this is a post by Anthony Howe about the Zorinza coverage. Uh, in August 1983. It's the uh, Zorinza issues uh, 30 and 31 combined. So, it begins. Zorinza 30 31 for August of 1983 was all about it, largely edited by Stephen Collins, not by me, although I will have overseen technical stuff and getting it to the printers. Somewhere I may have the Meyer schedule and anyone researching this needs to include his appearance at the Logies in Melbourne at the end of his trip. Peter was probably totally exhausted by being rushed from one Meyer store after another even dashing over state borders from Brisbane to squeezing tweed heads in New South Wales. I gather hardly anyone was there, so a total waste of his effort. Plus TV and radio stations, etc., around all of Australia. As Stephen comments on in the editorial, he was ruthlessly thrashed into slavery by Meyer's PR woman who was horrible to deal with, patronising, arrogant and plain nasty cancelling a fan club meeting in Melbourne and making life hell for me in Sydney. Several fans reported in detail that after landing in Sydney, he was shot straight up to Brisbane. So began his colonial punishment. Anthony then goes on to print the dates that he was uh, in Australia and the places that he was. So from Thursday, uh, which is April the 7th to Saturday the 9th, as reported by Matty Crocker, and then to Sydney uh, on Sunday the 10th to Tuesday the 12th with the club party on the 10th at Sydney University. Pat Fennick wrote reports about Sydney as did Dallas Jones. It appears he had the 13th as a day off. Adelaide was Thursday the 14th to Saturday the 16th, reported on by Grant Whittingham and Brian Cotter, and then off to Perth on Sunday the 17th to Tuesday the 19th, and there were reports by Pearl Smith and Kevin McCaw. And ending in Melbourne on Wednesday the 20th to Friday the 22nd, And there's a report there by John Edwards Davies with help from Richard Freeland.
1: Now, Jodie Willis-Roberts, now I remember Jodie, she used to be the Doctor Who Club Victoria president. I remember going to her house, having a club meeting there. It was back in the old days where pirate videos were shown and much merriment was had. Jodie says, I never ever wagged the day of school. Mum said I could go for one of the three days. I went to all three. I told my (laughs) form teacher I was going for the three days And he asked me to get him an autograph. There you go.
0: (laughs) Teachers shaping young minds.
1: And it's for a good cause, let's be honest as well. Well, yes. Davo only came out the once, is that right, to Australia? Back in 83 and then he came out. I think it was two thousand and nine or two thousand. Oh, okay. And for those Lords of Times thing. Um, oh, yes. yeah, yes. Well, I went up and had the dinner with him. Yeah, I asked him a couple of uh, questions to the jugular. Well,
0: what were those questions, Mark?
1: Would the show have been cancelled if you'd stayed in the role? He replied, "Yes." <laughs> so I said, "Well, it's a pretty good escape clause for you, then, wasn't it?" Really.
0: Our next message comes from Maddie Crocker. He says, "I remember trooping around all of southeast Queensland Meyer stores dressed as a Time Lord." And my mate Martin was in a very good Harlequin costume inspired from Black Orchid. So there's a lot of dedication there, Mark. I mean, you know, obviously having uh, the lead actor come out to Australia almost basically never happened. So once you had that opportunity to see him in one store, you would no doubt, you know, go to as many stores as you could just to bask in uh, Davo's radiant glory.
1: Absolutely. And especially when you're going to go dressed as the Harlequin from Black Orchid. I mean, that, that's that's dedication for you, isn't it, really? I'm surprised Matty wasn't beaten up in a back alley behind by a <laughs> couple of the local Queenslanders. The next one is from Shay Telfer. Uh, I saw him at Maya in Perth and asked him about the salary. Yeah, according to that Zarinza report, he had a couple of uh, questions asked about the salary and he uh, had no idea until the year afterwards when it was named after a typewriter, wasn't
0: it? Yes. Well, was it Eric or Robert Holmes?
1: Yeah, I think it was an Eric thing. Yeah. Oh,
0: well, one more thing to be positive to Eric about giving yeah. justification for the bloody celery. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next uh, message comes from Natalie Jane Nussi pryor My sister and I went to see him at an ABC promotional event held at the Brisbane Planetarium. I also saw him at DJ's. Now, DJ's, for those who don't know or even care, is uh, David Jones, which is another department store here in Melbourne, and I think in Sydney too, Mark. But she goes, I think it was DJ's, not Maya, in the city. I have photos somewhere. It was all terribly exciting. And, you know, Mark, I mean, for fa- like I said before, for fans, for young fans to be able to see their heroes in the flesh, uh, it would have been, you know, just enthralling and entertaining. Probably a bit, you know, confusing as well, because you're seeing the, the
1: the person. They're not actually, you know, in performance mode as such. Yes. I mean, even though he's in costume, there's still, I think, the lines of reality slightly blur. What a great venue to have that event held at Brisbane Planetarium. That's mm. actually pretty cool, as opposed to being stuck in the department store.
0: One's the ABC and the other one's a commercial enterprise. So it fits obviously with the, the show science fiction theme, of course. It would have been yeah. great, actually, having been to a few planetariums myself.
1: Yes, I do oh. like a good planetarium. I think I'd just
0: like to lie back and just go to sleep. No, I don't.
1: I went to one. I think it was voiced by David Tennant. I think it was in science work. Doctor Who,
0: everywhere, isn't it? It's just like it's like COVID. It just gets into under the skin, so to speak.
1: <laughs> Gotta say a bowler, but anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah, next correspondent, Mark
1: is from Scott Barkler. I did take the morning off school to attend in Perth. Yes, it was pre-West Lodge. West Lodge is the uh, the Perth Doctor Who fan club over there, if I remember. I yep. remember the blue champagne and Peter asking if we were enjoying our glasses the swimming pool. I wasn't. I was 15. So were they, they you handing
0: out champagne, were they?
1: Yeah, it must be this one. God, I've never Jeez. heard of a swimming pool drink.
0: It's the Wild West out in Perth, isn't it, mate?
1: mate? they're out of control. No one's crazy out there. And Scott continues, Taking the day off school was the coolest thing my mother uh, did. She wrote to my school saying I need to see the doctor. Well, she was right in some cases, wasn't she really?
0: And yeah. so- next correspondent is William Duffy, who says that Sue Ann Barber was the person who formed the West Lodge, which was mentioned earlier, uh, the Doctor Who a fan club in Perth. Uh, William says, I had been in the UK on holiday that year and went to the massive celebration at Longlet. I saw Peter Davison leaving early and overheard him saying he had a flight to catch. When I returned from my trip, I discovered that I had an invitation to meet Peter earlier that day at the Myra event. If only I came back a few hours earlier. And to cut a long story short, all of that was the impetus for the formation of the West
1: Lodge. That's interesting. There's two events there. Like you got that one there. Which formed the Western Australian Doctor Who Club. Yes. And then the Tom Baker visit in seventy-nine, where he was at Doncaster Shopping Town, right. led to the formation of the Doctor Who Club of Victoria. So, so, so having the actors there in real life, as it were, and people queuing and that sort of stuff and going, Oh, obviously we are all got common interests. And from those little acorns, great institutions grew. Next yeah. one. Uh, Stephen Smith said, I oh, was at the Adelaide one. With and- all the serial killers. Sorry, Stephen. I had to throw that in. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and he said that uh, the only thing he remembers of the event is that the lady with the microphone said, hello, boys and girls. But there was hardly any kids there. There may be teenagers and older people.
0: Well, there are a few negative-ish comments about uh, the lady, the Amaya lady who was mm. sort of emceeing and running the show. Times were different back then.
1: Yeah, and power goes to the head and that sort of stuff. So, you know, gotta remember Docker who wasn't as hip as what it was back when we was Wasn't like, oh, the
0: juggernaut that they've currently driven into the ground. Oh, sorry. Sorry.
1: <laughs> sorry. But it will be revived next year, Rob.
0: <sighs> Allegedly. It'll when is the centenary special airing, Mark?
1: Is it it's a couple of weeks' time, isn't it, Rob?
0: Sometime in October, of course. So yes. yes. We look we're looking forward to it. And I think Mark and I, just as a, a side note here, may have one or two plans. With regards to it, slowly at variance to our founding ethos, but regardless.
1: Yeah, we're going to throw the rule book out on it. Just like they're throwing the rule book out with the Centenary Special, we're also going to throw our rule book out to celebrate its the uh, last five minutes. I'm certainly looking
4: forward to
0: We have uh, an email from one of our listeners, Lee Coulson, who uh, wrote to us um, to provide uh, some memories of his uh, time with Davo at in Australia back in '83. It is uh, a page or so. So... I think we'll split it up reading a bit each.
1: That's a good idea. So how about I start with the beginning bit and I'll let you do the rest. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hello, Robert Mark. Thanks for the opportunity to submit a few late memories and ramblings for your upcoming podcast special on Peter Davison's trip to Australia in 1983. And he starts his letter off by saying, time flight to 1983. Seeing Peter Davison live in the flesh during his short visit to Australia in 1983 was a momentous and memorable event for me, one I can still relive vividly nearly 40 years later. Time can be a funny thing sometimes.
0: His visit certainly came at the perfect time for me back then, probably, on the cusp as I was between being a childhood fan of Doctor Who, and in brackets Tom and John, and the onset of nascent adolescence fandom and my mother, who duly recognising the import of his arrival on our shores even gave me the day off school so that we could catch the bus into Adelaide Central to see Peter at the Maya Bookstore on Rundle Mall, I think it was. Although it probably also didn't hurt that my mum was a major fan of All Creatures Great and Small at this time, and of dashing Tristan Farnon, especially. It was a day made doubly exciting by my also getting to meet Spike Milligan, who was also in Adelaide doing a book signing at another small retailer nearby, just ahead of performing his live one-man show on the Saturday night, a show I would attend with my father, whose televisual tastes ran quite different to my mum's. A goon and a time lord in one day, could it get any better for a besotted 12-year-old? It was a Thursday, I think, when Davo came to Adelaide. I'm not sure at what point of the tour this was for him, but Peter was in fine form during his time in the, in the Meyer bookstore, patiently answering questions from a packed audience that he must have been already asked hundreds of times before, including someone gazumping my carefully prepared query For when he met him about whether there would be any daleks in the new series the innocence of the
1: pre-internet days i was not to be deterred though from probing peter further for tidbits of season 20 to come no not the mind parade and while waiting in the long line up for the book signing clutching a copy of the visitation the only davison novelization i owned at the time i cunningly came up with a question about whether there were any submen appearing in upcoming episodes no one would have asked peter this question before I was sure. I can't actually remember his answer now, so starstruck was I when I came finally into the Fifth Doctor's presence. Whether he revealed any secrets of the Five Doctors story to come, that would be all exclusive to he and I, while the ABC were tipping in a chunk of coin to finance it after all. But I do recall him politely asking my name and checking the spelling of Lee, before neatly inscribing to Lee, Best Wishes, Peter Davison, in the inside title page of Visitation, a copy now sadly lost to me for the ravages of time. While we shared a moment, there was just time for my mother to ask Peter, the equally original question of whether any new series of all creatures, great and small, were coming up too, in which he deftly answered with a dash of the middle order batsman, nearly deflecting the ball through the covers to the boundary.
0: And then we were done. Ceremonies and promotional obligations duly met, Peter was promptly whisked away to wherever demigods go while staying in Adelaide, and leaving just enough time for my mum to purchase a copy of The Keeper of Traken as an extra treat to commemorate the occasion. And that is it, really. In all its prosaic glory, of my first live meeting with a real doctor, one that left me dizzy and even more determined to follow Doctor Who, despite few of my friends being particularly impressed when I turned up at soccer practice that night with tales of my day off school in the city, in the days before bow ties were cool and being a nerd was chic.
1: Peter Davison was never truly my doctor. That mantle will always belong to Tom, but I greatly enjoyed his tenure on the show and his energetic youthful take on the Time Lord. And in recognition and remembrance of that memorable 1983 visit, I present for you a poem. With a reckless charm, he was able to disarm all aliens, great and small. Young but wise, with a look of surprise and lovely eyes, according to my (laughs) mum. Thanks, Lee, for that email and your contribution. That was fantastic. Really enjoyed that. And how about meeting Davidson and Spike Milligan in the same day? That's nuts.
0: It would have been a study in contrast, I suppose. Spike—I mean, Spike Milligan—I think was uh, more loose, I think, as a, as a performer than Davo ever was. But uh, it is it really is a study in contrast, isn't it?
1: I wonder how many people attended Davo's session as opposed to Spike's. Things weren't publicized very well back in the old days. Basically, you catch things on the off chance. This was hit and miss, Davison. wasn't it? It was. It was definitely yeah, hit and
0: miss. You can imagine. Uh, the, the, the Milligan signings were—they definitely uh, the demographic was definitely a bit older. The heaving teenage hordes surrounding yes. Davo. <laughs>
1: Thank you, everybody who um, sent us in their thoughts and memories of those uh, heady days back in 1983, where that Peter Davison, aka the Fifth Doctor, landed on our shores. I'm still pissed I didn't go. Where <laughs> did you go, three? Mark? Yeah, I never knew about it until the day after.
0: Yeah, I mean, as you're saying, I mean, unless you were reading the the, the newspaper on the right day or listening to the you know a mm-hmm. radio interview at the right time. Sometimes it was just impossible to to, to know that these people were here. And with a lack of organised fandom in Australia, um, it was probably even harder for the message to get about. Nowadays, you can't turn around without stumbling over, you know, an announcement here or a press release there about someone's appearance here, there and everywhere. And it's the saturation of it all just really, you just feel like you're drowning in it sometimes.
1: Yeah, especially when it's like the uh, the Z list character from Star Trek turning up on our shores, four hundred dollars for an autograph. Oh, <laughs> I miss the good old days.
0: Yeah. But I mean it was it's definitely a different different time though. Mike, I mean, you know, the, the kids were w- look, me and you, you and I are hardened cynics about all of this sort of thing. And we understand now that conventions and, 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 and meeting with actors and whatever it is is effectively an exchange of our money for their recollections yeah. and anecdotes. I think going back to say something like Davison's appearance or even Tom Baker's appearance a few years earlier than that was a, definitely a, a more innocent time. I mean, you know, there was an exchange of cash and all that. sort. there was a commercial aspect to it. But I mean, you can just imagine, you know, the wide eyed, bushy tailed kids lining up or just, you know, thronging around Davison or, or, or Tom Baker and, you know, shouting out questions that, you know, you know, we, we would sort of cringe at now, but we're just an expression of the the joy and the excitement of seeing these people. You know, they, they, they watch their television and they're on the on, on the box. But just to see them, you know, live and in the flesh would have been really enthralling.
1: It's funny if you think about it now where it was on the cusp of the show's 20th anniversary. They had the long leap thing. They would have then, obviously, the American big conventions where vast monies are being exchanged. It's a shame the BBC didn't say... Let's actually take advantage of our biggest overseas markets and have a doctor who tour here. Very similar to what they did in, in with the Peter Capaldi a few years ago, you know, in Sydney. We went, went up yeah. there. It's a shame, yeah, BBC Enterprising back then wasn't that enterprising.
0: I mean, in their defense slightly. Ooh. It just wasn't in their DNA, was it? Really? No, no. Totally. I mean, it was. It, I suppose it was. Flog as many copies as we can off to the former colonies, and and bicycle them them around. But the idea of, I mean, you, a you probably had to convince the actors to do it, mm. uh, and B, you know, they'd have to be prepared to fly extremely long distances. And then when you get here, it's mm. not like you're touring the UK, which is basically the size of a postage stamp. You fall over, and you're suddenly in another town. Mm. You have to cross crisscross an, an actual continent to be able to to see your your fans and 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 you know, touch the flesh. Mm. Yeah, but look, it was an opportunity that I suppose, you know, they wouldn't, necess- wouldn't necessarily have realised that they had, but it's a pity that they didn't sort of expand their horizons in what in terms of what was, you know, possible uh, in yeah. terms of meeting fans and stuff like that. Yeah, because in Adelaide, they could have put them up in Snowtown. I heartily, I heartily recommend that listeners out there with young children watch Snowtown. It is a simple, heartwarming fable about people, just families coming together and not all of them leaving, is all I can say.
1: <laughs> no,
0: don't watch top. it with your kids because I don't no. want to be sued. So No, no,
1: no. Watch Robocop, the director's cut like I did. Much more fun uh, with it twelve. Yes. Your face
0: will also melt off.
1: That's enough of our reminiscences and your reminiscences as well about uh, the great Davison visit. We hope you've enjoyed this little segue from an oral programmer, would you say, Rob?
0: Yes, to think about it, Mark, it's, it's nigh on 39, 40 years, really. It's nigh on 40 years since it occurred. It's frightening. You, I don't know where the numbers, where the years go, to be honest, but so quickly. But look, you know, it's great that people have those wonderful memories that they're willing to share with us. As I said before, as we've said, Mark, it would have been really exciting for you know young kids and teenagers to see their hero in the flesh, and and just you know even just share a few words, get that that personalised signed you know autograph in their book that they were required to buy because they couldn't bring their own. <laughs> Um, it's it's just great, and I really appreciate the fact that our listeners are willing to you know send us in audio uh, or write in and just you know to contribute their memories because you know these things eventually fade and, and and go away. So it's nice to have to be able to just put them down on uh, on audio.
1: And we must also acknowledge the uh, zarinza issue thirty slash thirty one, August eighty three. It gave us a selected highlights at the beginning of the episode, but you can track that down. Some of that stuff in there is fascinating frightening. It's a very engaging read about the, the good old days. It
0: was well worth tracking down for, you know, just for a look at or a glimpse of uh, Australian fandom uh, at that time. It was uh, strangely similar to the UK, but then definitely different to the UK. In some different. The so once again, to everyone listening, thank you very much for tuning in to the latest episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. Mark, We've got uh, a couple of things on the boil for next month, I think. Is that right?
1: Yes, we do. And uh, we should see as to the end of the year. And, uh, of course, we've got so much to look forward to in
0: October, the centenary special. Dance yes. its way on stage and then dance off as it farewells Jody Whittaker and uh, Chris Chibnall from uh, their work on the show. So I'm extremely interested to see oh, yeah.
1: how that all goes. Yes, I'm looking forward to it with a due sense of dread and foreboding. Absolutely. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> everything well there's life there is hope and on that bombshell I've been Rob and I've been mark
0: and we'll speak again soon you've just listened to another episode of 42 to doomsday the podcast that loves talking about doctor who we'd love to hear from our listeners please drop us a line at 42 to doomsday at gmail.com we can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to doomsday if brevity is your game we can be found on Twitter at 42 to doomsday please check out our blog 42 to where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.
5: The must never do is allow the character he's playing to take over his life, but that warning seems to come too late for Peter Davison, as David O'Brien discovered when he tried to extract an answer or two from the fifth actor to play Doctor Who. Peter, how did you come to get the role of Doctor Who? Ah, uh, um, well, I was uh, sitting at home and... Uh... Uh, well, if I might just uh, interrupt David here, just to uh, clarify a couple of points. Uh, Doctor Who isn't really a role, but uh, Peter was, in fact, sitting at home one weekend when he had the uh, advantage of being offered the possibility of regenerating into myself. I was, of course, at that time, Tom Baker. But this, of course, was a great opportunity for Peter, and I really uh, don't understand why he took two weeks to decide to actually uh, uh, um, take the advantage of this offer thank you doctor uh, peter is there a great deal of difference between yourself and doctor who well, no i uh well i, I don't know really uh, uh yes I, i'm sorry to interrupt again but perhaps it would save a little time uh, there is obviously a fairly vast difference between myself and peter peter is an actor who simply pretends to be someone and i am the doctor now of course peter is an actor and a Very good actor, I'd be the first to say that. But he sits at home normally and simply waits for the telephone to ring while I save the universe from many enemies and generally, uh, well, a hero. Uh, Peter, you're the fifth actor to take this role. Do you feel that it's restricted any part of yourself in adopting it? Oh, no. um, Uh, I'm sorry, sorry, David, but I'm going to have to interrupt you again. I really must make this perfectly clear to you that uh, Peter is playing me. I mean, here I am. I'm sitting here. I mean, for you to suggest that that Peter, in some ways, is restricted in what he brings to my Doc, character do is. Ever, it, doctor, do you ever give him a chance to talk? Oh, uh, certainly, certainly, certainly. Anything he would like to say, please, please. Go ahead, Peter. I've been fascinated to listen to uh, what you have to say. I, I well, I didn't mean to. No, no, please, no, no. It's it's quite all right, quite all right. I'm quite happy to sit here and listen to uh, Peter. He, he used to be. I saw him in all creatures great and small. He seemed to me to be a, an an admirable person to uh, uh, to portray myself, but. Uh, quite how he turned into this bumbling wreck i'm not quite sure <clears throat> do you go on please uh peter peter uh, he's he's a very strong dominant character isn't it is there any possibility that he could consume you altogether? oh no i uh well, i don't think uh, um, if I might just uh, interrupt. It is all right if I interrupt. Oh, well, is it, is go ahead. It, that's all right? No, okay, I, I just would hate to think that you're getting the wrong idea about me, because I am really <laughs> an awfully nice person. I know that the, uh, the Cybermen and the Daleks and the Master might not agree, but really I, I do have the best intentions in the world, and, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't like you to think that I in any way sort of impose upon Peter's sort of Character, you, you don't mind my interrupting. Well, you, you have to be dominant. To well, yes, yes, uh, of course, of course. I, you know, I, I, I do use. not deny that I am sort of fairly assertive. But one's time is short, and really, one has to make the best of uh, one's short life, which is only, after all, in the region of two thousand years. And the Tardis is warming up. And exactly, and in the region <laughs>